Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. We're going to go right in to this morning's message today. And I read this about uh, two months ago, that if you want to be a good preacher, you're supposed to start off with stories. Okay? So I don't know. I, I believe I'm a fair anyway preacher, so I give it my very best. So anyway, whatever. But, but I'm going to start with the story, amen, because you want to learn all the time. And, and has anybody ever lost something that was of great value to you? Now, a few weeks ago, we had these incredible ladies that are here with us from the Windsor Life Center, and some of the workers that came over, some of the graduates, they came by our house, okay? And there was probably 20 of us, 25, whatever it was, and we live in a newer area uh, in LaSalle, and uh, the GPS doesn't always pick up the new area that we're in, okay? So Kathy, with great wisdom, gave everybody her cell phone number. So in case you get lost, they have the cell phone number that you can call. Amen? And so anyway, to make a long story short, we were scrambling right at the end before everybody comes over. I think Lana was the first one. But uh, when everybody comes over, I had to cut the watermelon and the cantaloupes because I like fruit because I'm a little fruity, they say. So. so we had all the fruit trays and was cutting it all up and cleaning it up and, and taking the plastic bag out of the garbage, the white plastic bag, and then putting it in the big garbage bag. It's kind of hard, especially when there's the watermelon rinds and all that, so it's heavy. So I asked Kathy to help me, and so she did, and we put it in there and then put it out in the garage. And, and next thing I know, the people are all here, and Kathy says, I can't find my phone. And so no problem, honey, no problem. I'll just call it. Okay, that's because this happens once in a while around our house. Anybody ever lose your phone? So what do you do? You call it, and then it rings, and then you're right there. But the only problem is the ringer wasn't on. So the vibrator's on, but we couldn't hear it vibrate anywhere. So anyway, so we're scrambling trying to find this lost phone in case somebody gets lost, then they're going to be really lost. Now the emergency number is not there, amen? And so anyway, uh, so, I, so Kathy says, well, maybe I, I left it in the garbage. No, I don't think you did. And she says, well, maybe it's in the garbage, you know, because we were rushing, and maybe I just dropped it in the garbage. And, and it's like, oh, man. So I called the phone and went out to the garbage and, and trying to hear it, you know, and it's like, oh, this is disgusting. So then I had to open it up and then go in there, and it still wasn't there. Anyway, we found out it was in an ottoman. Don't ask me how it got into an ottoman. But it got into an ottoman. You couldn't hear it in the ottoman because there's cushion around it and in it. And so no matter what you did, you couldn't hear it. Amen? But how many know that phone was very valuable? Especially at that time, but it was lost. And I'm going somewhere with this in just a moment, okay? And then we have a, an incredible chime around our house with keys. Anybody ever lose your keys? Okay. I wish Shark Tank would come up with something, okay? I know they got the one that beeps a little bit, but it's got to be within a certain range, and then half the time, if you don't have the thing turned on, it's not going to, come on. So anyway, so we, at one time last year, I remember that Kathy said, I can't find my keys. I said, well, where's the keys? I said, ah, it's in one of your purses. Well, the only thing is, she has many purses, okay? Joseph had a coat of many colors. Kathy has many purses, Okay. So anyway, to make a long story, she looks in all her purses, and she cannot find her keys. Well, that key is a very valuable, uh, uh, valuable key, because to replace that key is over 500 bucks for a single key. Don't lose your keys, because they cost, okay? So for a few months, we're going with one key, and how many know that can be a challenge? Okay, so we're doing it. Finally, I says, okay, you know what? We can't find it, so I'll just go, and, and I'll go... You don't get another key. That's what it is. So anyway, you buy the key. And then four months after that, she finds the key. Okay, so anyway, I'm saying all that because those were two valuable things that were very important that were both lost. And in the scriptures, it speaks about a lost coin. It speaks about a lost sheep. And it speaks about a lost son. Come on. 
And every one of them were very, very important, not just to the people, but they're important stories for you and I today. And we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 15, if everybody can go over there in Luke chapter 15. But there's a context, you all. I want you to get a hold of this here because Mike and Amber read the scripture reading, which is usually what I'm teaching on, and we tie it right in. So Luke 15, if you can put it up there. And we see something that the context, when it says then in the King James, in Luke 15, 1, if you look at the new King James, it speaks about then, and so something happens, but it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. Is that what it says over there? Come on. And what was he doing, okay? It says uh, he was teaching them. The point I want to bring out to you is this here that's very, very important. It says salt is no good if it's lost its saltiness. And the contextual point before he goes in to the story in Luke chapter 15 is he calls us, Jesus is called the salt of the earth. Come on. But how many know he calls you and I the salt of the earth? Jesus is called the light in the world, but how many know he calls you and I the light of the world? So it's very important that he identifies with you and I in these aspects. But the real aspect of discipleship, Jesus never said to go and make converts. But he did say go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples are a learner. They're pupils. They're students. Okay? And what does that mean? They actually observe their, the one that they're under, their teacher, their coach, if you want to call their pastor, their mentor, the one that they're connected with, and they observe their lifestyle to such a degree that the very characteristics of the one they're following now becomes a part of their life. Now, how many could say that Peter and John and James, uh, how many know James and John were called the sons of thunder? But how many know connecting with the discipleship process as learners, as students of the very lifestyle of Jesus, how many know they became great compassionate leaders? They became not reactive leaders any longer. They were very understanding leaders. You can see that in Acts 15. But you can also see that John was called the apostle of love later on in life. So, so how many know he took on the very nature and the very characteristics of the one that he was there, Jesus Christ? Amen? that he was poured into of his life. And so that's really what discipleship is. Now, if that's true, then what is the assignment and what is the responsibility and what is the charge that God's word would give us to making disciples? We already found that in the book of uh, Luke chapter 14. They read it this morning. If any man wants to be my disciple, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross, come and follow me. Is that what we read? Come on. How many remember reading that? It said forsaking all, and how many know, hating mother, father in comparison. In other words, so many people say, well, you know, when my wife gets right, then I'm going to do this here. If my husband gets right, then I'm going to serve God, then I'm going to do this here. And God says, if you put them first, he says, you're missing the whole purpose while you're here. A lady last week been trying to get her husband to church every week and trying to get him, and he, he didn't come. So they disconnected for over a decade. Totally disconnecting. 10 after 11, she's at her house, real close to here. And God said, you know, and she felt this year prompting, I need to get to church today. So she got up and her daughter came. And her granddaughter came. They all came to church. Come on. And their lives were changed. Guess what today? The husband was here. The grandson was here. Amen. But somebody got up and did something. In the same respect, we can talk about being Christians. We can talk about being disciples. But there's a mandate that God's word gives every one of us here today. And it's not speaking to pastors only. It's not speaking to teachers. It's not speaking to apostles or prophets. It's speaking to them, but it's not exclusively them. Come on. It's speaking to every one of us. Everybody look at somebody and say, every one of us. Weiss translation now goes in. So this is what it says then in the King James. It says, then immediately after, it says in the King James, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So the context of what he's teaching now is what discipleship is really all about. Is that going okay? Okay, so what was the context? Disciples, followers of Jesus, students of Jesus, learners of Jesus, carrying the characteristics of Jesus, carrying the heart of Jesus, carrying the love of Jesus, carrying the forgiveness of Jesus, carrying the mercy of Jesus is what you and I are today. So I can look at you today and say, you're his hands, you're his feet, you're his voice, you're his ears. Come on. Because Jesus' ministry is now working in and through your life and mine. 
So now we're going to pick up then immediately afterwards, after he teaches about salt losing its effectiveness, he goes and tells us what disciples do. Are you there? And let's read it now. Then go, go now to Luke 15, 1. This made, it said, this made the Pharisees and the Sadducees of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and eating, even eating with them. Look at verse number three. So Jesus told them this story. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus actually have dinner with notorious sinners? Did he have dinner with we would want to call the people that religion actually rejected, religion didn't want anything to do with? Did he actually care about those people? Now, let me tell you what I've seen over my 41 years journey working with many Christians today is when they get saved, they get a clique of people that they hang with and they absolutely keep anybody that isn't believing like them, acting like them, talking like them out of their life. And they have no relationships whatsoever with lost people. And there's something about them at times that they, they go away from them or they cuss. Well, how many know you cussed before you got saved? Some of you still cuss now. That's okay. How many know they drink? I mean, no, that's just a way of life. I did that before I got saved. God did all those things. But how many know sinners sin? So Jesus isn't concerned as much about their sin as he heard about their hearts. And so Jesus connected with them. Now, the warning to you and I in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you can look it up, verse 9 to 11. As a matter of fact, put that up, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11, if you want. The warning to you and I was not to associate or not to connect with a brother who says he's this. Again, in other words, they got one foot in, they got another foot out. He said, if they're living this here way, don't even don't let them in if you want to term it in your inner circle, because they're going to be the ones that can disconnect you from the plan. Go, if you will, 1 Corinthians 7 and, and, and look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians, I think it's 7. Let me get no 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 9. Sorry, guys. Okay. I actually made a mistake in the Bible. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9. Had the 9-5, but we're there. Okay, everybody there. There it is. Everybody read. Come on. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate people who indulge in sexual sin, fornication, pornography, all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like How many can say Amen. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. How many can say amen? So he's speaking about the standard of relationships as you and I as the salts of the earth and you and I in the area of our relationships one with another here. But he didn't say that we're to shun the world, Okay. Over the years, Kathy and I have made many friends with worldly people, and many of those worldly people, if you want to term it, are even in the church today, are in other churches, and uh, we've connected them with the plan that God has for their life because we connected them to Jesus Christ. Amen? So what I've recognized over there is that many believers, they repulse. They, they, they don't hang with They don't have any friends anymore. And then they just hang around with their little group, and then nobody else goes in with that group, and that's the only ones that they ever do, rather than invite other people to come out with them. Amen? That went over so well. Thank you. So Jesus gives the story. This is what I want to give out there. As a disciple, our first thing is, is that we should not be shunning the world's people out there. We should be developing relationships, getting to know them, let them get to know us. Because what I've learned is that when you get, they get to know you, not just who it is that you believe in, they get to know you that's going to be the representative of Jesus because it says that you are a living epistle written and read by men. So what message is your epistle saying to those there people? Amen? Okay, so look what he goes on and says in verse number three. So back to Luke chapter 15 and verse number three. So Jesus told them this story. It's a parable. Parable is an illustrated story that was very well known in the culture of that day that the people could understand. Jesus talked about fields. He talked about uh, corn. He talked about agriculture. He talked about animals. Well, he gives one of those stories right now. Everybody read it. Come on. If a man has a hundred, gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost 
until he finds it. Then what's going to happen? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And then what happens? It says when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Then look what it says here. In the same way, there is what? More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And so we saw something that somebody was disconnected, and then guess what? God uses you and I as normal people to reconnect them. How many know that's the whole message? Now, this is where I want to start my message today for you today, okay? This is so important. If lost sheep means something to God, and, and how many know he calls you sheep as an illustration of people? Come on. And guess what? The shoulders is where we carry the weight. And guess what happened? You put a lost sheep on your shoulder and you bring them home. How many know a little sheep weighed about 150 pounds? A big sheep weighed about 300 pounds. How many can say that was a pretty heavy weight? Okay, it's amazing how the writer, Jesus, uses the illustration of whatever the weight is, it's going to be good, amen? And some people, how many know when they come to Christ, they need to be carried? But here's what the word lost means, and I broke it down in every dictionary that I have, and I found out that the word lost, if lost people, lost sheep means something to God, the lost coin, which I have a whole message, that's why these brooms are all up here, because I thought I was going to get that far, but I never did in the first service. Amen. So I was going to speak about going back to dust, sweeping out the house, starting a new beginning. I had a whole message on there about what that means, and, but we're not going to get that far today. Amen. But here's what. If lost sheep, lost coin, and lost sons and daughters mean something to God, then who are these people? And if they mean something to him as a disciple of Jesus, they should mean something to us. If they're not important to us, then it's just like the keys. Come on. It's just like the phone. They're not important. They were important. And we searched everywhere we could to try to find them because they were important. Do we actually have the same search for lost people is what we have to ask. It says, what does the word lost mean? It means to destroy fully. It means actually a person that's failed, a person that has given up, a person that has forfeited their opportunities. It speaks about they forfeited their possessions. They've lost them. And it speaks of an individual that has strayed from a place of safety. Or a person that's ignorant of one's way. Or a person ignorant of one's direction. I found out that when you talk to people about some of the choices that they're making today. After you give them a level, uh, uh, an understanding of where this thing is going to go. Many of those people come in. Can you all say amen? But they don't realize it. They just take what's popular today. They just take because it's a social norm. They take. You know, when a woman, uh, when a woman or a couple, you know, they, they conceive a child and then they, they don't want that baby, how many know there's consequences to that that they got to live with? Amen? And whether they're believers or whether they're unbelievers, they still got to live with that whole. And so people go and they shift that whole thing to a right today, but it causes pain inside their emotions, and we're going to be covering that in a few moments. But the word also means a person that goes astray, astray from what is right, into a place of error, into a place of confusion, into a place of undesirable actions or undesirable thoughts. This is all part of lost. It also means a person that is defeated and has had setbacks in their life, deprived, been overcome, and it means to reduce to useless fragments. In other words, in the area of their soul, they can't put their reasoning, their actions together because they have what they call a fragmented soul. There's many, many pieces. And the best way that I can say it is they're a broken person with many, many different pieces in their life. It also speaks about a person that's neutralized, the word lost. And neutralized to me describes really what it says in Revelation when it says, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, neutral, come on, I'll spew you up. So it speaks about a person that's not hot or not cold. Okay? It also speaks about a person in between, if you want to call it, double-minded. It also speaks about a person that's ruined or failed, wrecked or decayed condition. It speaks of even the, the, the complete loss of their health, their means, their job, their position, their hopes. They're devastated and they're overwhelmed. Now, let me just ask a question. Does anybody know anybody like that? Anybody know? Anybody know more than one? Raise both hands. Hallelujah. Well, guess what? Lost people matter to God. 
if they matter to God, then how many know they should matter to us? So again, a lost sheep is a symbol of a person that really, they get to a place they don't even care oftentimes. They're not paying attention any longer. They're often stubborn. They're often rebellious, thoughtless persons who's just doing their own thing, uh, uh, disobeying, if you want to call it, their own conscience over there without realizing the end of where they're going. So here's what I've learned about Jesus, okay? Here's what I've learned, something very, very interesting, He shares things in context to tell us not only what our responsibility is, but he also shares things to let us know why people got into those situations. And when I studied this here, and I've been reading this here for 41 years, I've read this here, preached probably 20-some messages on this over the years, I saw something this last couple weeks that I had never seen before. And how it all started was I went to the journey, and I want you to follow this journey with me. So everybody say, disciples love people. Disciples love lost people. Can you all say amen? No issue with that. But in the book of Matthew, I want you to go over there for just a moment to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to show you the same story that Matthew goes and brings out over here. In Matthew chapter 18. It blew me away because I saw something over here that I had never seen before. And the same story about the good shepherd leaving the 99 and coming to the one, we see contextual, the same story is intertwined in here, but he shares something before and he shares something after that Luke didn't bring out. And look what he says there. Everybody read this with me quickly. We're going to go right down. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's see what he said. Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child amongst them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become you like a little child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Then look what it says. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Keep going right down, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. He identifies. But if you cause one of these, now this is where I want to zero in. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me, hang on, hang on, look at me for just a moment. Loss means they went astray. They were trusting, but something happened in their life. Look at the writer says, who trust me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone around you, around your neck, and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts bait to what? To sin, people to sin, Temptations are what? Inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the... Now, it's amazing, it's amazing that the writers of the New Living Translation bring the word temptation. It's amazing because in the King James, it actually translates it as offense. It's in woe unto those that bring the offense and those that are offended, right? It actually says that. And the new living actually brings the word temptation. Now let me just state this, both of them are correct. Because what the one writer is saying is the temptation, it's literally a cause to stumble or a stumbling block. And it speaks about a bait. It speaks about, Pastor Dave was here in the first service, and I asked him about fishing out there. And what happens, it speaks about, uh, you can put the hook into the water, but how many know if there's no bait in there, how many know you're not going to get many fish? So, so guess what? You put the bait on there. You put the minnow. You put the worm or whatever it is. And then guess what? It's moving around. And then, then, they, then the fish sees. And guess what? They come and eat the worm, eat the minnow. And guess what? You got the hook inside. Well, that's exactly just like a mousetrap. Pastor Brian uh, puts a peanut butter on the mousetraps. And guess what? That's the temptation to the mouse because they smell it. And they go over to look at it. Hey, man, that's, that's peanut butter, man. Go. And guess what? The thing comes down on them. The context, listen to the, the next verse. The context is offense. How do people get lost? How do people get neutralized? How do people go astray? The writer is telling us now it's because they took the bait. And the bait is the bait of Satan. And it's the whole area of offense. Jump down three verses, if you will. We can teach this afterwards, okay? Uh, Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, we can go. But go down there. So it says if your hand. Okay, now here's the story. Verse number 12. 
Let me ask you a question. Is the context offense? Is the context the stumbling block? Is the context the bait? Okay, and then look what he says right here in the middle. He says, come on, read it. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them, one, what will he do? Won't he leave the Where do we read that? Well, hopefully you remember me just reading that in Luke chapter 15. Come on. The first story about law, and it says wanders away. That means lost. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others? We saw the same thing on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost. Go to verse 13. Look what it says. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over 99 that didn't wander away. Hang on. He brings the same story in context of offenses is what caused people to go astray. Let's go a little bit further down. Keep going. It says, in the same way, is it not my heavenly Father's uh, will that even, that, that what? even one of these little ones should perish? Look what he goes on. He said, if another believer sins against you, come on, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses what's happened, you've won that person back. Look what he goes on to say, but if you're unsuccessful, take another with you or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Come on. And look at it says, if that person still refused to listen, take your case to the church. And then if he still won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Keep going. Doesn't stop. Look at Peter says, keep, keep going right down to 19. Just keep coming right down. Okay, I also tell you that if two of you agree on earth as concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Look at verse 20. It says, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there amongst you. Context is offenses. We'll leave that for another day. Okay, go to the next verse, 21. Keep coming right down. You're doing great. Then, then, hang on. Jack, what's then mean? Immediately. Immediately afterwards. Then, Peter came after he shares this and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me. And he says seven times, keep going if you will. Come on, look at right now. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Okay, in a day. That's 490 times in a day. Man, with us, you get two times, and you know, how many know the person's baked? Therefore the king, maybe that's only my house, okay. Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Look what it says, the story. In the process, one of the debtors was thought who owed him millions of dollars. How many could say that's a big debt? He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that uh, he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. I mean, no, culturally, that's what they did. Not only would the wife have to pay, the kids have to pay, they all were sold into slavery. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and come on, I will pay it all. And then look what he says. This is amazing. Come on, church. It it says, uh, then his master was filled with joy, with pity for for him, and he released him and forgave him what? How many can say that's amazing? How would you like to have millions and millions of dollars forgiven? Well, let me tell you, you can't put a price on your sin, but your sins is worth more than millions and millions and millions of damage. And Jesus went to the cross and paid the price in full. So what does he say? You've received my forgiveness for your sin. Now go and give that forgiveness to somebody else for their sin. And everybody shouted and said, yes and amen. Okay? So go on to the next point. But when the fellow man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instead payment. Now, Now hang on. He owed him a few dollars. What's a few dollars in light of millions of dollars? Then he goes on. Look what he said. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded. And then he said, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. You know what's interesting about that? Then other scriptures speak about how the man is turned over to the tormentors. I've learned over here that the whole context of lost people, the whole context is unforgiveness, bitterness, grudges, and it's simply summed in one word called offended. And I don't know about you, but in the journey of life, there is not a month that goes by that I don't have at least one to two good opportunities to get offended. 
Sometimes they're more often, sometimes they're less. How many can relate with what I just said? How many, how many can say there's an opportunity to be offended, okay? I want to just state something what I've observed in 41 years is people are usually not even aware that they took the bait off the stick, and they're not even aware that they're in the trap now of the enemy. And that's why they're neutralized. That's why they don't have the fire for God. That's why they're disconnected from God. Because you can't, listen, listen. If you got something against your brother, and you say you love God, the Bible said you're a liar. And let me just state this when it says, and boy, it's really quiet in this church right now. In 1 John 3, when it says, no murder hath eternal life, it says, if you hate your brother, it says you're a murderer. And the word hate doesn't mean to detest the person. It means to love them less than others. So in other words, when a person comes in to the church, do you treat this one with higher regard and higher respect than the others? Or do you see us all on the same playing field with God in his mercy and grace? Because that's what the writer's trying to bring out, and it's really quiet on that there one. I've also noticed that pessimistic people by nature, negative people by nature, insecure people by nature, and selfish people by nature, oftentimes will take, and how many know we've all been there at one time or another, come on, will very quickly take the bait that the enemy brings out because they're in the same playing field as the mouse. They're in the same playing field if you want to term it as a spider that's ready to go into that thing. They're in the same playing field. Absalom was one of those individuals. Absalom was a very godly son. He sat at David's table. And Absalom had a sister. Her name was Tamar. And Tamar, the Bible says, was actually violated, raped, by a man named Ammon. I I just want to make sure, Ammon. And Ammon actually raped his sister Tamar. And as the older brother, he was a protector, and he got really ticked off at him. David forgave him. But he put boundaries up where that person could no longer come around. Can you say amen? amen? Not saying it was right, but Absalom didn't feel his dad did enough. Absalom felt with my dad being a man of war, he should just kill the sucker and take him right out. But he didn't. And so Absalom took it in his own hand because he was offended. And his offense, which you saw later on in his life, was not just a week, not just a month, not just a year. It was years in the making. And he allowed that pain, he allowed what he felt was a deficiency in his dad to go inside of him, and he stuffed it down on the inside of his heart to the place where he actually killed Ammon. He actually murdered him. And and it tells about that. So the whole thing that came out, and his life was cut premature, and he died early because of the consequences of not dealing with the offense that Absalom had. In the same respect, there was another guy, and his name was David. And how many know David uh, had all of his family together when Samuel the prophet came into town? And when Samuel came to town, there was a big celebration. And so they were going to pick the next king of Israel. And so he was on a mission and assignment. And all the brothers are there. I'm sure the sisters there, mom's there. And we can see Jesse, daddy's over there. Come on. And Samuel sits there and he says, listen, is there anybody else that should be uh, in this here thing? Is there anybody else? He said, none of these guys are the one. But he says, is there anybody else? He says, what do you mean? He says, is there anybody else? He said, yeah. He says, I got one that takes care of the sheep. And even in the tone that Jesse spoke, there was disdain. So I'm not going to develop my personal theology on that, but we're going to leave that for another time. But the reality was is he was rejected. He was out there keeping the sheep. He said, well, go get them and bring them in. He brings them in and said, this is the Lord's anointed. Now, here's what I want to bring out is not the, point about, uh, not, not the point about the king, but I want to bring out about it. David could have been offended. Why did, they even, why did they even bring me in here? All the others are all here. Why did they even bring me in here? So David could have been offended, but how many know he didn't get offended? He's just out there loving God, loving the sheep, and taking care of business. Come on. Because I learned something about God. When I try to make it happen, it doesn't work. But when God makes it happen, it works every time. Can you say amen? I've learned that, okay? And so here, listen, listen very carefully. In life, what I've recognized is that people will disappoint us. 
Just like the disciples, they, how many know the disciples disappointed Jesus not just once, not just twice? Not, how, how many know he's dying? He, he's, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And how many know, guys, can't you just stay up for one hour with me? Can't you just hang out one hour and pray with me? And he comes back not just once, not twice, three times, and they're found sleeping every time. So anyway, how many know he was disappointed, but he didn't allow the bait stick of the enemy to get in his heart? In looking back over my life, again, there's opportunities to come at least once or twice a month, at least sometimes daily, sometimes a couple months might go by without a good one, you know, come on, but they usually come. But when we feel overlooked like David or forgotten like Joseph for 13 years and was sold into slavery, betrayed and disappointed, how are we? When we have years, uh, when we, people get offended because they weren't invited to a wedding, they weren't invited to a shower or a birthday party or they didn't get the promotion or the raise that they thought they should have. You know, when our kids got married, you know, we want to have the whole church there. But reality, you can't. I'll say it again. But reality, you can't. Just with our families, which are huge, that's another whole story. But yet people got offended because we couldn't, because they didn't get invited. Why did that one get invited and this one didn't get invited? That's the reality of, of what it is. It's like, I can't change that. I came to the church and just said, listen, we'd like everybody there. And then some people got more upset that I even said something. How many know if you're offended, you're going to get upset at what anybody says? I'll say it again. If you're offended, you're going to get upset no matter what. Nobody can do what's right. And, and you know what? you got husbands offended at their wives and wives offended at their husbands. No matter what they do right, you'll never see it because you're offended at them. And that's why all you can do is criticize and find their faults. Good preaching. Thanks for the amens. You can hug me afterwards, okay? And then people get offended by the task-orientated people. Because task-orientated people aren't as well with people-orientated people. There's two kinds. There's task and people, right or wrong. Okay, and usually they're married. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And so, so what happens out there is, is the tasks don't like what the people do, and the people don't like what the tasks do, but how many know you need them both? And then you got people get offended because of familiarity like they did in Jesus' town. It says in his own hometown, he couldn't do no miracles. And they were offended at him. And then people get offended because they have to wait five minutes in line. I told the first service, and I said, you don't even go to the second service. I says, you guys get right out before Costco's even opened up. After Costco's open up, now, man, that traffic's coming through here in 7th Concession, and you guys have a heck of a hard time getting out. So we commend you at this second service today, amen? And, but here's, here's what it is. Some people, listen, listen, they go to a store, and they got their grocery cart filled, and because the lines are backed up a little bit, they just leave the cart and just storm out of the store and get all offended. And some are offended right now because it's 25 after, and I haven't got to my punchline. <laughs> okay. Spouses get offended at one another because they didn't get their way, and they oftentimes they use negative controlling guilt traps with one another to prove their dissatisfaction. The spirit of offense in a home, the spirit of offense in a marriage, the spirit of offense in a single person. Every time a single person gets married, why isn't it me? The spirit of offense in a church, why didn't I get on that? Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do that? What I've learned is that if we don't deal with the offenses in our hearts, then those offenses are going to be the bait Satan will use to take us out. All right, listen, listen carefully what your pastor's saying right now. Woe to those that offenses come by. Woe for them. We all have to take personal responsibility. But what I've recognized in 41 years, what I've recognized is, and I'm going to share this story, is I got offended in a betrayal that took place almost 30-some uh, years ago. And when I got offended, I forgave, but I forgave it with my mind in my head. And it wasn't really from the heart, because here's how, here's in the simplest way you know that it's not resolved inside. How many have ever had somebody do something wrong to you? Just raise your hand. And how many just say, I forgive them? Come on. And just the tone you said it with... <laughs> You know you said it, but how many know, I've, here, here's other people say, I forgive them, but I won't forget it. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Of course, I'm not talking to anybody in here. And so what do we do? We take all those offenses and we begin to stuff them. And then we stuff them in, what does that mean? You literally push them down. 
And like they're still there. But you just don't even think they're there. But they're there. And then you don't even realize it because that's why it's bait. That's why it's a temptation. Then you don't even realize it. And then you get sharp. And then you get, you, you get an attitude. You know, and then you walk around, you're like you're mad all the time. Then you come to church and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then you say, like hell. Because you're there. And you don't even realize it. God is good. God is good. Yeah, God's good. Then why did all this crap happen in my life over here? You know? like, and it's like you hear the song and you know what I'm talking about right now. And that's why I can use illustrations and you can understand. It's because you're a stuffer. And you stuff it and you push it down and push it down. And then just, you know, everything's fine. I just love Jesus. But you can't get along with anybody. And you're asking yourself, why? Well, maybe you haven't asked yourself. Maybe that's why you came to church. And then Pastor Rick will tell you, ask yourself, why? Because there's unresolved issues that you just stuffed inside of your heart. And oftentimes, you'll just put another label on them and take it out on someone else that has nothing to do with the situation. And you'll take it out because it's unresolved inside of your life. So years ago, you heard me share this here story. I got offended. And said I forgave, and, and yet the triggers were always there. If somebody can push your buttons, that means you haven't resolved it. If somebody can get you upset in a flash, that means you haven't resolved it. That means it's still there. And, and so anyway, so Kathy says, you know, you haven't, you're offended. And I says, then I get offended at her for telling me that I got offended. <laughs> How many can relate? Come on, just, just, just raise your hand. You get mad at the one, and if you can't get mad at a person, you get mad at the dog, you know? Can't get mad at the dog, you, get, you go to eat, and you try to do some other way to, to cover it over. Come on. It's just all just different ways that we all deal with in the process. This is good preaching right now. I'm almost done, so just please hold on to your communion cup. And so, so, what do you, so, so the reality was, I got mad at her for telling me that I was offended. Telling me I hadn't forgiven. Well, how many, when somebody tells you the truth and you don't want to hear it, how many of you are a prime candidate? You've already taken the bait stick. So anyway, you know, I broke me that day. I got healed. Pastor Brown was singing at that time and Lynn, and I got put my hands up and I got healed of the arthritis. I got healed of, of all the stuff that was going on in my physical body at that time was a direct result from it. And duh, I didn't even know what was going on, but I did know what was going on, but I didn't want to deal with it because it was too deep and it was too painful. So it's just an area I just didn't want to touch anymore. But that day I got delivered of it by becoming a conscious competent. So this is what I've learned. If the Bible says think on good things and we think on bad things, then guess what? We're delusional. Amen. And what happens out there? We've already taken the bait of the enemy. Why did this Why did that happen? Why did they get a car? Why did they get a new one? Why did they get it? Why did and we got all the whys that are nothing more than whining, and we don't even realize that it's an offense that we haven't resolved inside of our life that is going on inside of our life. So, number one is here's how you're going to, how many want to deal with the offense? Uh, let me just ask a question. How many need it to hear what I'm saying right now? Raise your, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Just raise it up. And okay, everybody put them down. How many just lied? You didn't raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody stand up for just a moment, okay? Okay, everybody just stand up for just a moment, okay? And uh, everybody point your finger right here. Just say, right here. I'm going to start thinking on good things. Hang on, number two is, if you're hanging out with ungrateful people, all they are is pessimists, all they do is see the worst in every situation, and they're your best friends, that friendship needs to be adjusted. Now, if it's your spouse, come out for prayer tonight. We'll pray. <laughs> okay. Don't leave them. That's not what we're saying. But I'm going to tell you something. If all you're hearing is the whining feeding that goes on, I'm going to tell you something. That's an offended person. If you tell them and you say, you need to hear what Pastor Richard, you need to get the tape, and they'll go, yeah, I've heard all that before. Stop your murmuring, stop your complaining that's coming out, that's a symptom that it's unresolved inside of your life. Quit hanging around with bitter people. Let me just close with this. Bitter people never can shut up. Bitter people don't know how to shut up. Bitter people don't know how to shut up. They spread their, their, their bitterness everywhere they go. 
And they'll do it nice sometimes. They'll, they'll do it nice, but after you go, you feel heavy. You feel dirty. You feel defiled. You feel like, man, I was having a great day until I got around them. What just happened? And the Bible says, beware to the believers lest the root of bitterness spring up inside of you whereby many would be defiled. It doesn't stay alone. It's, it, it, it affects. And it can spread. And what I've learned is inside of my life, I was at a church just a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, and, and I was not planning on preaching what I am uh, at this here church, but I got off into this area about mental forgiveness and heartfelt forgiveness. And I thought maybe two, three people. So I just stopped the service. I was preaching about 45, 50 minutes. That church wants me to go an hour and a half on Sunday night. Right in the middle of it, 45, 50 minutes in, I stopped. And I just, I, I feel there's people here. God just spoke to you, and I just shared what I just shared, that you needed to hear this. And, and, and the place started weeping. They started crying. They started breaking out. And I said, that's you. Just raise your hand. The whole place went up. Like every person in there. And ended up ministering for three hours to the people with their wounds and their pains. And, and then the prophetic started flowing, and people started getting healed. And people started, because when you deal with the garbage, you get healed. See, I knew that dryness of bones, arthritis, and all that comes because of unresolved conflict, because it says that in the book of Proverbs. I knew that, but I couldn't correlate that in with my mind because there was an offense there. So that means the offense, not only does it neutralize you, but the offense also, listen very carefully, causes you to go astray, and you don't even realize that you get away from God. And in my journey, that was the time that was a defining moment inside of my life that I dealt with the core issue. And so the last thing is, is that we need to be quick when an offense comes to make a decision. Matter of fact, we do this daily, Kathy and I, before we even start our day, is like, I choose to, to, to not deal, uh, to deal with everything that would try to come across our path today. I choose to deal with it inside of my heart and get it out because I can't afford that, that baggage any longer. Amen. So if that's you, on any of those occasions, just raise your hand right now. Just, just wait. It hits you today. You needed to hear this message. It was, it was for you today. So my question is, what, raise your hand if that's you. Just, just wave it real high and just, just say, you know what, Ricky, just hit me there. You just got me. Okay, my question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but I pray that it's not just coming from words that you're saying because I want the emotions to be a part of it. I want you to connect with every part of your being, spirit, soul, and body. Let's all just say it together. Heavenly Father, you hit me today in the core of my heart. And God, there's some issues that have been going on that I'm realizing the short fuse, the anger, the self-hatred, the things I've allowed into my life are byproducts of the bait of Satan, the spirit of offense. I recognize it for what it is today. And with your help and your great mercy, may I see, my eyes opened up, the billion-dollar debt that I had. And help me now, in light of that, to see the pocket change, debts of my brothers and sisters, and even the ones at $100 bills, little bigger ones, in light of your forgiveness. So, Father, you said to the New Testament church in the book of Ephesians to let all bitterness, wrath, and evil speaking be put away from me. Cleanse my heart today, Father. Cleanse my emotions today. Cleanse my mouth today. And help me to be alert, to be attentive to the bait of Satan from this moment forward. Now make a decision right now. You're going to forgive Make a decision. I had people come up to me and say, I haven't talked to my daughter in 20 years. I haven't talked to this one in years. I haven't. This has been something I just stuffed in something and it just triggered something. And Mike is with me. That, that one after the next. One after the next was just sharing that this was liberating for their life today. 
So today, deal with that area of your heart. Deal with that area of hurt. Deal with that area of emotion. Deal with that area of abandonment. Deal with that area of self-hatred. Deal with all those triggers today with God's grace and forgiveness. And you'll be a different person when you walk out of here. In Jesus' name. If, you need, if you're stuck and you need prayer for that, if all the leaders can come down now at this time. Father God, just cause this to be the greatest day of our life and may everyone rise up to be the giant slayer. And God, I'm sensing even those watching by live stream this morning that deliverance and freedom is coming across their path as well as in this here room. You can rest it. Your bodies are going to spring forth into help. There's going to be healing that's going to hit your bodies. The thing that you've been struggling with, that you've come up against a wall in, inside of your life. There's people, three of them, with a, a eating a disorder, addiction. It, the root issue was hit today, and the root now pulled out is going to bring forth fruit inside of your life. There's, there, there's people today, and I, I, I've never said this here in all of the years that I've been here, but there's a dozen people that you're, you're addicted to smoking, and it's because of a root issue inside of your life, and it's going to break off of your life. You're not going to feel them anymore. When you go to pick them up, you're going to gag, you're going to spit, you're going to choke, and you're going to cough, and you're not going to want them anymore because you're going to hate those things because they're poverty pushers, and they've been really with your whole uh, esteem is, is there with smokes. It goes, and, and this is young, and this is old, and I'm sensing that very, very strongly here today, and I believe that there's marriages that are going to be shifted off. Uh, the strife is going to be shifted off because you're going to deal with the core issues today. You're not going to hide it any longer. You're not going to run it any longer. You're not going to stuff it any longer. You're going to deal with those issues and get the help that you need to process through with the forgiveness of Christ and you're going to see it happen. And there's and, and others that you've just been blocked and crying out to God. Why? 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 Why haven't you brought Mr. Right? Why haven't you brought Mrs. Right? Why haven't you brought him? Well, God says it's going to happen now because you dealt with the issue that has been blocking the blessing that I have for your life. So get ready. Get ready for the breakthrough. Get ready for restored health. Get ready for financial miracles because this is going to be the best week of your life. You're dismissed. Have the most amazing day and enjoy the afternoon.